0: You are listening to the Unsung Lung Podcast, presented by Alberta Lung. better way to kick off 2023 than with something a little sappy. If that's not up your alley, plug your ears. I'm totally kidding. You're going to love this episode. I'm sure of it. So, a mother's love is something that can transcend all kinds of heartbreak and troubles. I know for me, I've been lucky enough to have lived in relatively good health for most of my life. Where my mom's love steps in is in the stressful late nights studying the constitutional law book that is for some reason, 1,100 pages long, the many breakups that I've had in my young life, and any problem that I know I can't figure out on my own. These issues, I hold at least, my mom would probably say otherwise, are trivial compared to what our guest today has endured. She is the mom of a wonderful boy and man who sadly is no longer with us because of complications with his cystic fibrosis or CF, as it is otherwise known. Our guest today is Gina Champagne, and she is an amazing advocate for lung health in our province. Her son, Vincent, passed away in July of 2007, and she has been championing lung health awareness ever since. Like Jeremy Saunders, the producer and host of Sick Boy Podcast, who I interviewed a few months ago on this show... Vincent suffered many struggles with his CF. However, unlike Jeremy, Vincent didn't have the chance to be in the quote-unquote trikafta era of CF. If you recall, trikafta is the amazing drug drug that fixes the misshapen genes that cause the extensive problems and symptoms of cystic fibrosis. Instead, Vincent had to go through a double lung transplant to extend his life. While it did extend it, the procedure and its aftermath didn't come without their own troubles, and it only lasted about two years before Vincent succumbed to his disease. In today's interview, I'll be speaking with Gina about Vincent's younger years, how he coped with CF and despised being different from other children we'll also discuss the journey that eventually led Vincent to wanting to be placed on the transplant list and how the transplant process evolved. I do have to say that I am somewhat of a hopeless romantic and the story of why Vincent decided to pursue a lung transplant is really touching. So for those who are fond of love stories, definitely stay tuned. Gina and I also touch on how she believes breathing space is going to be such an amazing place for those needing lung transplants. If you recall, breathing space is Alberta Lung's first, not first, it is the first in Canada, I should say. It is Alberta Lung's home away from home for lung transplant recipients because the costs of receiving a lung transplant can be so astronomical to bear by oneself, even to the six-figure mark. Alberta Lung is building a sanctuary for lung transplant patients and their caregivers to come and stay while they are receiving treatment, thus cutting down on major stressors and allowing them to focus on healing. I'd like to extend a massive thank you to Gina for sharing her incredibly touching story with us today on the Unsung Lung Podcast. So I hope you enjoy my discussion discussion with Gina a with a heart of gold and an incredible lung health champion in our province. I am very excited to welcome Gina onto the Unsung Lung podcast today. This is certainly a different perspective from other ones that we've had on our show, and I know that we are super privileged to hear your story. So how's it going today, Gina?
1: It's going pretty good, Jacob. Chilly out there, but uh, <laughs> it's warm in here
0: exactly it's warm inside our houses for people listening outside of the city that we are taping in um we it, it, we're taping in edmonton alberta and currently maybe not currently but this morning a couple hours ago i think it was something like minus 48 with the wind chill um which is absolutely nuts don't even want to talk about it i have to go drive after this interview and i am not looking forward to it no <laughs> so, not going to be fun, but I will certainly enjoy this interview and staying warm and and getting to know a little about Vincent, your son and and just having an amazing conversation. So, let's just start uh, so in my introduction to to this uh this episode, I obviously spoke about your perspective as a mom and Vincent's journey. So, I'm wondering if we can start at the very beginning. So, how did you know something was wrong with Vincent? What were the signs?
1: Sure. Okay. Um I would have to say the main sign is what they ended up diagnosing before they said he had cystic fibrosis was he was showing symptoms of failure to thrive. Now failure to thrive includes things like not gaining weight, not growing. Those are the medical type of things. But what I noticed as a mom was just that I had two uh, I have two other older children than Vincent. They had grown Incre- they were always in the top 2% percentiles of the growth charts that the doctors go by. And Vincent just wasn't growing at the same rate. And I was quite concerned. And at first, the doctor kept saying, that's fine. That's fine. Not all kids grow at the same rate. And after several months of that, I really got concerned when his dark hair that he was born with fell out. All babies' hair is fallout but he started growing back back blonde hair instead of dark and it you've met me I've got dark hair so that was a concern and plus the fact that he just wasn't growing so back to the pediatrician Dr. Malinowski and with my concerns and so they, they put Vincent in hospital for three days to try and do try and determine why this child wasn't growing and i First, I was a little concerned that they were thinking maybe I was doing something like that multuals and by proxy. Anyway, after three days of testing, they finally did the sweat chloride test, which is the keystone test for cystic fibrosis. It's where they count the sweat in, in the chloride in your sweat, and it turned out positive. So it was determined that Vincent was failing to thrive due to cystic fibrosis.
0: Right. Yeah. That, I, I've, I've heard about that test a lot of times before in other podcasts that I've listened to. Um, actually, what's what's funny is that I've heard that it's, I, maybe you can attest to this, I've heard that it can be a little iffy. There's There's a woman that I listened to on a podcast recently where she had a sweat chloride test done and it was inconclusive and she had it done a million times and they couldn't determine if she had cystic fibrosis or not. She had some of the symptoms, of CF, but um, w- when you were discussing with the doctors, was it like definitive? Yes, he has cystic fibrosis because of this of this test.
1: Yes, yes, his his scores were extremely high. Yeah. So yes, without a doubt, they knew that he had cystic fibrosis.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so, it
1: it's uh, it is the standard. Sure, they they can now do the blood test to determine like when. Babies are born now, we get the mandatory blood tests that they do to check for certain diseases and cystic fibrosis is one of them. And if they show any markers, they will do other tests, including the sweat chloride test. But the sweat chloride test is and was for for the 30 or 40 years that cystic fibrosis was a known disease. It was the standard. And once we determined Vincent had cystic fibrosis, they also did the sweat chloride test on his siblings because sometimes, and because cystic fibrosis manifests in different ways, sometimes they don't catch it. Um, You may not have all the symptoms. Some have digestive, some have lung. Vincent had a combination of both. But uh, they tested my other two children to make sure they didn't have it and lucky for us they didn't. I know of some families sadly that uh, when they had uh, one child test positive and they went back and checked the others that they all had cystic fibrosis.
0: Right yeah I'm, I'm very I'm very glad that it wasn't a family-wide thing for you. That's, that's excellent to hear. So, so in, in bringing it back to Vincent and kind of his very younger, younger years with cystic fibrosis, after he was diagnosed with it, there were some treatments that needed to be started. And one of those that you told me about prior was some chest physio. And in that treatment, one thing that kind of caught me off guard was that you said you actually had to quote unquote pound on his chest. So can you, dive into that and what it entailed and maybe how that was hard on, on you specifically.
1: Yes, I can. Um, chest, chest physio is what basically what you're doing is chest percussions on the chest, which vibrate the mucus so that we're able to clear easier because the mucus with those that have cystic fibrosis is very sticky. And so From the time he was diagnosed, he was only six months old, I would have to, at minimum four times a day, put him in certain positions. And when he was little, it was really easy because I would just lay him over my lap or tilt him down my legs because you want to, you're trying to drain the mucus. So you're trying to angle him in certain ways while you're pounding on him. And the pounding is you're cupping your hand and you're making a, I'll, I'll do it on my leg just so you can hear it, but it's, it's that sort of thing, so that sort of sound. But it, what it does is it vibrates the chest, and so it causes the, the patient to cough to get rid of that mucus. So there's several positions that you put them in. Some are where they're sitting up, some are where they're angled down, then you turn them on each side, while doing the the clapping or pounding. And each treatment takes about a half an hour. So when you consider when he was healthy, we were doing it minimally four times a day for half an hour each time. But that was after he would do his inhalation therapy uh, by nebulizer. He would have certain drugs he'd have to breathe in that also aided. So yes, the pounding, yeah, the pounding—it sounded really loud, and to people that weren't used to it, they'd be shocked. And I would joke and laugh and say, "Well, if I don't pound my child, I would be considered negligent." <laughs> you know, most people, you don't hit your child, but Vincent needed this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That—that—that's crazy to hear, especially with the audio example you gave us. Would, would it yes. be would it be that loud when he was yes. an an infant, like at six mm-hmm. months?
1: Yes, and it wow. was amazing because he would fall asleep during the treatments. Oh my and people, would go, people would go, "Oh my goodness, how can he sleep through that?" But when he'd be in hospital, and like every time he was hospitalized for infections, I would stay twenty four seven. So every time it was, I'd be there for two. All his treatments when he was hospitalized would be for two, at least two weeks. So you could hear. You could th- people that would come to see Vincent could follow the sound down the hallway. You could hear it all the way down the hallway of the the pounding or the what we started calling clapping. But yes, it's it's very loud.
0: Oh my goodness, that that is crazy to know, especially two hours a day. That's not an insignificant amount of time to do That's, anything, let alone correct. let alone something that I, I guess invasive or oppressive however you want to call it it's just well I mean he fell asleep when he was a kid but it's just it doesn't sound like something fun
1: no and um that was uh when he was well when he was sick if he even something simple like a chest cold I would be doing his therapy every three to four hours throughout the day and throughout the night so it took a lot and I ended up with drummer's arms if you ever looked at the drummer's arms they're beautiful they're they're muscle they're whatever but that's how my arms ended up too bad they don't look like that now but uh (laughs) yeah it was it was definitely a workout you you built a lot of arm strength
0: yeah for sure that's funny you say that I was I was a drummer when I was a kid and I was (laughs) the scrawniest kid I don't I've never heard of this drummer's arms I wish I had that I probably could have put a could have picked up Uh, a few more girls in in junior (laughs) high kind of thing if i had those kind of arms but anyways away from me that's that's enough um so kind of moving on from vincent's very younger years his i guess infancy to a little bit of of a younger boy now so he was a very active young boy and man and he loved uh, things like skateboarding, snowboarding, soccer, swimming, and mountain biking. And you told me that his favorite exp- expression and one that he shared intimately with you was that he lived life on the edge where only the strong survive. And I think that's an incredible quote. So how did his fondness of sports and extreme ones at that sit with you, uh, a mom that just wanted to protect her son?
1: <laughs> oh, Jacob. Uh yes. I loved watching him involved in all his sports. Yes, I was always afraid because another thing with cystic fibrosis is because of their malnourishment, even when they're on medication, they have issues with their bones. So fracturing a bone was common. And yes, as much as I wanted to wrap him up in cotton batten, I wanted him to live. I wanted him to live the life he was gonna have. And so it was hard, I'd let him go. And when he would come home banged up or if we had to take him to get a cast or something, he would look at me and if I went, oh dear, he'd go, mom, we know this isn't what's gonna kill me. And that if more than living life on the edge, that is what would just squeeze my heart. Because he knew from a very young age and that was one thing that we're going to talk about later about um, what he didn't like but anyway um, yes it was very very hard on me but I loved watching him he was so into all the extreme sports
0: yeah that's incredible I, I, I was not into extreme sports like that but I can certainly attest to having parents and family around watching you. I I know that for my dad and my mom, they they loved watching me play basketball. And it just, it means something different when your family's doing something that they love and you can watch them do that, even if it is a little dangerous, obviously, but I find it funny how, how Vincent was saying that this isn't what's going to kill him. So he might as well live, live life to the fullest in the meantime. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, This reminds me of that song by uh, one Republic. Uh, I lived They dedicated that song to uh, Brian Warnicki, who was a CF fan of theirs. He was 15 at the time of the song, but Brian lived like Vincent. Every day to the fullest, he was into the extreme sports. And when my son first, not Vincent, but Matthew, when he saw the video I lived, he phoned me right away crying and said, Mom, you've got to watch this video it is so much like our Vincent and it it was I mean the extreme sports the the love of life you see the passion that these kids knowing that they don't their days are numbered the passion that they put into what they can do and what they will do is amazing
0: absolutely yeah I, I you you forwarded that video to me i lived by one republic the music video yeah. so if anyone's um interested please go go on youtube and watch that it's an incredible video i don't I obviously don't know vincent personally he passed away quite a while ago now um but i could just see the the connection there i i knew from the stories that you've told me that 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 is who he was and it it was very similar. And if you if you need a little bit of a tearjerker, honestly, I okay. I it it, it put it, it brought me down a few notches, certainly. So so that one it, it's a great music video. And so kind of not exactly tied into that, but maybe uh, just moving on a little bit. In in his sure. early teenage years, Vincent didn't like to be quote unquote different. So can you expand on this and maybe? Some of the challenges that he faced that his peers simply wouldn't have because they didn't have cystic fibrosis.
1: Right. Um, Vincent got to the point where, although all of his schoolmates and friends knew he had cystic fibrosis, and at a younger age, even way before he hit his teen years, when he was in elementary, one of his classmates had said, "You're going to die." That classmate's mother was a nurse and had told her son that Vincent had a disease and that he was going to die, which is really hard for a child to hear. But that's when our starting to use that expression, we live life on the edge started is because yes, you've got a disease that's robbing you of your life, but we're going to fight it every step we can. But anyway, when Vincent became a teenager, then it was, he didn't want to be different. He didn't like having to, come home at lunchtime for his treatments. He didn't want to have to come home after school. He wanted to hang with his buds, which is normal. And so we decided um, he also was having issues with taking all the meds he needed to take because that meant carrying containers of pills everywhere he went. And people that didn't know him will look at him going, why are you popping so many pills? And at that point, he wasn't really ready to open up and say, because I have to. So he didn't want to do a lot of this. And so I, I had him and myself and um, Joan Tabak from the cystic fibrosis clinic she came with me we had social workers and specialists and we had a chat with Vincent and they deemed that he was only 14 at the time that he knew enough about what he was facing that he we would support whatever decision he made at that time and so we came up with a compromise we would do his therapy in the morning and at night instead of the four times a day and more often, of course, if he got sick, because that also usually meant he was hospitalized. So it was a compromise. He gave up, or he gave up some things, and we supported it, supported him in that, and um, we went from there.
0: Yeah. That that that's incredible. I I actually I can draw a comparison into something that I recently learned. It, having you mentioned that, it's interesting because so we think of how what age of maturity is old enough for for children to to have some input and even definitive input into their their medical treatment. And we actually just learned this in one of the classes that I'm in right now, and that 14, 16 is actually that age of. Uh, Minor maturity, if you want it, that's not that's not the term that's that's actually used, but that that's the age when kind of uh, Canada as a whole has has approved that that minors can can input on their own medical treatment. And that's that's interesting that you mentioned that. So uh, in moving on as well past past the treatment and him pulling it back similarly. Before the interview, you told me that there was a time in Vincent's life, like you just mentioned, when he didn't want to continue treatment at all because he was just so tired of it. So, But then he actually met someone special. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us what meeting Kathleen did for him.
1: Yes. Um, Kathleen, we also called her Cat, and I nicknamed her Kitten. She came into Vincent's life. Uh, just before he was 21, I would think. Anyway, when he met her and fell in love with her, she also fell in love with him. and it gave him something to, this something to live for. He no longer was ready to uh, embrace his expiry date as Jeremy Saunders from your uh, podcast from I think it was August 1st had had used that phrase he vincent was no longer willing to just give up and give in now he wanted to fight and so he met cat and they were dating and even though Kat's family was quite concerned they didn't want her involved with somebody who was dying because they knew the heartache she was facing but the two kid the two kids i'll call them kids wanted to continue they wanted to get married and so i helped them make that happen we uh we had a wedding and everything on christmas eve 2004 they got married and they even managed to have a honeymoon in punta canta when they returned from the honeymoon by then vincent was even though he was trying to fight cf had really damaged he was already at the end of his life. They they called it uh, um, end-stage cystic fibrosis. And so Dr. Brown, he was the CF doctor. He um, Because Vincent and Kat said, we want to do whatever we can to keep Vincent alive, Dr. Brown said, okay, well, I can introduce you to Dr. Lean and the lung transplant team and see what they think. So actually, the whole family had to meet with uh, the the transplant team because not only do you assess the patient, you assess the family to make sure he's going to have the supports he's going to need to get through this.
0: Yeah, of course, and it, obviously, it sounds like he had the supports, especially in. And Cat and you and and everyone else that that's amazing. Honestly, I'm a sucker for a love story, so <laughs> <laughs> I have a yes. little bit of a hopeless romantic over here. I, yes. I yeah, we're we're not going to dive into that too much, but it, it it's an incredible story and in how that that uh, meeting Cat pushed him to kind of to keep going and and fight for his life. So, as you mentioned uh, a little bit about uh, his end stage cystic fibrosis, this was in 2004. So after meeting with the transplant team here in Edmonton and learning of the immense out-of-pocket costs associated with a lung transplant, your family and Vincent's friends decided to do some fundraising. So I'm wondering if you can tell us about the challenges related to that.
1: Yes, yes, but yes, uh, because the lung transplant team told us, first of all, we would have to get Vincent into better physical shape to survive the transplant. They also told us that we needed to raise a lot of money. Now I'm talking thousands of dollars because Vincent and Kat would have to stay in Edmonton for a minimum of 90 days post-transplant because once they are discharged from hospital after the surgery, they still have to come back every day for those 90 days so this is before things like even Facebook was barely started but there was no GoFundMe no nothing like that so Vincent's good friend Skylar Challenge uh who they met during um multimedia at the college decided that he would build a Facebook page, or not a Facebook page, an actual uh, web page. So they built a web page called Breed Life. This is the handle they or the name they chose because this is what we were going to be doing. We were hoping to help Vincent breathe Life. So anyway, he built this uh, web page. We or they designed bracelets and blankets and scarves and everything using Vincent's favorite color, which was teal, and um, started fundraising, selling things at various events to raise the funds that would be needed. So once we were able to raise it all, and all the while, while we we're doing that, uh, Vincent's going through uh, different. He had a feeding tube inserted to help him get nutrients into his system because he was emancipated. I mean, he was very, very skinny and not well, and I think I used the wrong word, but we'll go past that. Anyway, uh, he needed to gain weight, so he had a tube inserted through his abdomen so he would have night feedings as well. He was also on oxygen 24-7 by then. And so between getting him physically stronger and fundraising, once we managed to raise at least the $10,000, the transplant team decided that they would put Vincent on the transplant list. So finally, uh, I think it was March of 2005, Vincent was put on the transplant list.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So so just to kind of, go back a little bit why why it was so expensive for those 90 days after is because you guys weren't at the time living in Edmonton correct or were you I I know you were living in Lethbridge around that time true
1: true yes you are we were living in Lethbridge so we were living in Lethbridge uh Vincent's older brother who was a police officer was living in Tabor and so yes we were far away so we weren't on Edmonton's doorstep so that meant we had to um we'd have to be able to support Kat and Vincent living in Edmonton. And this is where, I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, where a place like breathing space is so very important. And Vincent would want me to be pushing breathing space. He He would be totally behind it.
0: Of course, yeah, breathing space is going to be incredible. Like, as we've mentioned a million times in this podcast, people come from across Western Canada, not even just Alberta, for lung transplants, and they need a place to stay, right? So it can be expensive with hotel costs or or however you're, you're getting by staying here. It can be incredibly expensive. So in skipping forward to when you got that call to come to Edmonton, as I mentioned, you were living in Lethbridge. What was it like to know that Vincent was going to be receiving a new pair of lungs?
1: Ooh, <laughs> it was um, was like even waiting for the call. It was like walking on ice because a lot of people waiting for transplants don't last until the organ becomes available. And so the six months, once he was put on that list, we didn't get the call until September 27th. So there was six months of nerve wrecking waiting. Sure, we continued to do our fundraising because it costs about, I would say, at least $80,000 in the end to cover the cost of coming back and forth to Edmonton, even after you've had the transplant. But anyway, it was, Yes, it was like walking on ice. We had to have a designated pager. We had to have a designated cell phone. They had to be able to get up in touch with us immediately. It can't be like, leave a message and we'll call you back. You had to be there when the call came in. And so it was it was nerve-wracking. And then <laughs> September 27th, the call came in at about 1 o'clock in the morning. And as soon as the pager went off and the sound and the cell phone at the same time, we knew what it was. Vincent and Kat were living with me at the time because Vincent was has never been well enough to work. And Kat worked retail part-time because she was so involved with it, with helping with Vincent's care. So they lived with me. So anyway, when the call came in, it was, uh, my, my the hair is standing up on my neck right now, just thinking about it. Anyway, the call came in and Vincent took the call and he went into panic mode and was really quite horrified or scared that this, he goes, oh my God, I don't want to die. I don't know what to say. And Kat just said to him, very calm as Kat was, she goes, Vincent, you've got this. We can do this. And so Vincent, uh, they gave him five minutes and they called him back and he said, yes, I'm ready. And so then they sent the land ambulance to come and get him. And then that in itself took a bit because the weather, for some reason, was not suitable to fly out of Lethbridge. So into a land ambulance, they took him to medicine. They took him and actually Matthew went with him on the medevac. They took him by land ambulance to Medicine Hat. They flew from Medicine Hat into Edmonton, which is a trip in itself. Vincent was extremely anxious, which is normal. And so um, that gave us, the rest of us, time to get our little convoy of separate vehicles and drive to Edmonton. Um, We managed to get to Edmonton at 8.30, just as they were wheeling Vincent in for surgery. So got a quick kiss goodbye and off he went.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I, the the support that he had that morning, I, I'm sure that obviously is a scary time, uh, an incredibly scary call to receive. But just having all the people behind him, Kat yourself and and everyone, I'm sure that that gave him the confidence to go and do it and get it done and and keep living. Um, so that that's an amazing story. And so you mentioned uh, to me earlier that Vincent's physician with the transplant team, Doctor Lean. Uh, had a saying that in deciding to go forward with the transplant, the patient is exchanging the devil they know for one that they don't. So I'm just wondering if you can elaborate on that and what this saying means for our listeners, because it's, it it seems straightforward, but also it probably has a little bit of nuance.
1: Yes, sure. It's, it so does Um, having Vincent having lived with cystic fibrosis for 24 years, he knew that devil. We didn't know the transplant or post-transplant devil. Uh, And we call it a devil because it's it's an unknown. And it can be not only scary, it can be life-threatening as well. Um, With getting the transplant, the anti-rejection medications quite often cause what's called uh, new-onset diabetes, and that's exactly what happened in Vincent's case. When he came out of the surgery, he immediately became an insulin dependent diabetic. So we all a lot of us know what it's like, what diabetes is like, you have to take the insulin, you have to check your blood sugars, you have to Stabilize your blood sugars either through diet or exercise or a combination. But that's another daily concern that you're adding to an already full day. You're adding, checking your blood sugars by back then, it was pricking the finger and, and measuring out and determining how much insulin you needed. So that's the devil we didn't know. We also didn't know the devil of rejection. And that's what ended up taking Vincent from us was the constant issues with rejection and um, the not so much the diabetes. We got a grasp of that. And he got very good at, at determining how much insulin he needed. But the rejection was the devil. And um, it started off like Vincent, we got a really good, we got six good months with Vincent. Six good months of where he was really healthy after an initial setback. When he first came home after his transplant, he came home on December 23rd. Him and Katherine, him and no, Kathleen came home to the Lethbridge. And on December 24th, Vincent had his first setback. He thought he had food poisoning because on their drive home from Edmonton to Lethbridge, they had stopped and picked up something to eat on the way. Vincent showed symptoms of what we thought was food poisoning. So I took him to the hospital in Lethbridge, and uh, Dr. Ali Zetner, who knew Vincent from seeing him through other emergency admissions, determined that, no, it wasn't food poisoning. Vincent was in septic shock. So there's another part of the devil we didn't know. He was in septic shock, and so he had to be medevaced once again to Edmonton. By the time we got to Edmonton, Vincent was back intubated and fighting for his life. So it was a vicious cycle. And yes, he did manage to to survive that setback, and he got stronger. And we had that really good six months. With Vincent that we had we never would have seen. Uh, we got to see a side of him where he advocated for not only himself, but he became very outgoing and became a spokesperson for lung transplant. He would see people in the hospital that he thought he'd go, hmm, they look like they have cystic fibrosis or whatever. And he he was very vocal and not afraid to approach people he didn't know. And he would say, hi, I'm Vincent, I've had a lung transplant, and he would start a conversation with them in the cafeteria, and they were just amazed at how he was so open and willing to talk about his own struggles and convince them whether or not they wanted to go through a transplant as well. He also was really good with his his, uh, co-transplantees, a couple of them, Jesse McQuitty And Scott and A were going through the process at the same, around the same time. And so quite often they would meet up in the hospital because they would have issues rejection or whatever, and they'd be hospitalized at the same time. And so they were like the three musketeers. And they kept in touch also as well outside of the hospital. And if Vincent felt that they weren't doing something that he thought they should be doing, he would basically give them the little kick in the butt and say, Hey, smarten up you need to do this you need to protect your new lungs you need to be strong you need to take care and so we got to see that side of Vincent we never would have seen without the transplant I've tried transgressed a bit um the devil so what Dr. Lean had meant by when he told us you're giving up the devil you know which was cystic fibrosis for the one you didn't and yes it was not a nice devil, but um, Vincent would not have not had the transplant knowing all this. Even when Vincent struggled near the end, and when he, they determined he only had like there was a couple. We had a family meeting, and we spoke with the specialist, uh, Dr. Brinley from the ICU, and it was determined that Vincent had they were looking at options. One was they had to remove his left lung because it was so bad that the tissue had died. So the minimum Vincent would need to have that left lung removed. He needed stents placed into his right lung to keep open up the bronchi because where they attached the new lungs, it had narrowed. And so it was con- Vincent was having issues breathing with, with that lung. The other option they gave him at the time was – he could go be put back on the transplant list for a, another double lung transplant but this would also include a heart and that is precarious to say the least but they couldn't do any of this they had they said that they would have to assess him and determine whether or not any of these options would be viable and give him any kind of quality of life and it was then determined a little bit later that none of those options were viable and even though Vincent wanted to go ahead with another transplant it was determined we were that they weren't going to do it so then it was just keeping Vincent comfortable so that's the devil we didn't know
0: yeah for sure well it it, it is taking obviously a lot of that the part of that story is sad but the understanding that Vincent was such an incredible advocate like you are now is is amazing to know because even if it just helped save one person's life if it pushed one person to go and get that lung transplant when maybe they were scared to or something like that that's enough if if you're if you can help someone to to do something that major in their life i think that his his work was definitely paid off so and going past the the 6 months that that Vincent had that were that were great and he and he lived a relatively healthy healthy life I'm not sure if that's fair to say but I'm just wondering after that point and when it started deteriorating his health was it challenging That because you maybe have hoped the transplant to have been completed and done, but was it challenging that he kept going back in and out of hospital until eventually he succumbed to the disease and and the
1: transplant? It was extremely challenging. It was hard to watch because being his mother, I had been involved in all his medical decisions up until the time he was married. Once he was married legally, and you would understand this, It then became him and his wife's final decisions. And so during that family meeting, I was really relieved when, like, it was all of us involved in the meeting. But when the doctors said, we need to take this to Vincent's bedside, this conversation, he needs to be a part of it. And it also helped relieve Kat from the burden because she was telling them, do whatever you need to keep him alive. And they needed to tell Vincent that at this point that there was nothing else they could do for him. And so that he, Vincent had to tell Dr. Lean and Dr. Weinkoff when he decided enough was enough. Just keep me comfortable and let me go. And that took the onus and that heavy burden off of Kat. So that was... Hard in one sense, but it made it easier for her. That girl, she was, she was his earth angel and we keep in touch with her. She'll always be a part of our lives, but without cats, we never would've got to see Vincent become the man he was before he passed away. So yes, it, it brings tears to my eyes even today Yeah, I'm getting getting there. (laughs) Even though he's been gone 15, almost 15 and a half years now, it still tugs at my heart. And it reminds me, okay, this is going to be another cliche or another song that brings to mind. Garth Brooks' song, The Dance. If that doesn't describe Vincent's life and our life with Vincent, we would have all preferred not to have faced all of that pain. but we would have not have experienced the dance or the joy of Vincent's life. So there's another cliche, yes. Um, and another song that uh, encompasses or describes what it's like to live with a terminal illness. to tea, I guess.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, I, I'm glad you actually gave us these two songs because now our listeners have some homework. They have to go listen to Garth Brooks
1: yeah. and they have yeah. to go listen to One Republic.
0: It's not a question. Yeah. You have to go do it. So yeah, yeah. amazing. So okay. kind of I,
1: before go we no, well, there's one more song that your listeners need to check out. Sure. Um Andrew Allen's Christmas song. It's their favorite or favorite Christmas song is about somebody who's passed away and listening to their favorite christmas song i listen to that song every day when i have my moments of thinking of vincent and it's it's wonderful i love how these artists are able to turn something tragic into something beautiful and something gut wrenching at the same time
0: yeah of course so, sorry what was the title of that last song
1: favorite christmas song okay and it's by i think his name is andrew allen
0: i think i've heard that i'll have to go listen to it again yes. but yeah once, of course once you hear
1: you're gonna go oh my goodness that's it
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure yeah but just uh so our listeners know we're taping right before christmas this episode yes. is dropping oh, on yes. january 1st so it's it's very timely so yes. it, it, and kind of wrapping everything up i have just uh, a couple last questions the, the last sure. question is a longer yeah. one but before we dive into that um, just a little bit of an ad lib. I'm just wondering if you can speak to what you know about breathing space and why it is so important for you and Vincent. How he would be advocating for this. Why you think that the that the project is so important for Alberta and Western Canada and maybe Canada in its entirety.
1: Exactly. Uh, when I first heard about breathing space, I reached out to Alberta Lung because. I knew I had to get involved with this. It became my new purpose. Um, it's, a, it's going to be a place very similar to a Ronald McDonald house where people that are coming from, and like you said, all over Canada. we uh, the, Albert, the lung transplant team at the University of Alberta treats or does lung transplants on people from BC, Alberta, Northwest Territory, Saskatchewan, Manitoba wherever and they come to Edmonton and that's quite a quite a trip like I told you Vincent had to be here for 90 days post transplant plus they have to come in often for post transplant checkups and everything else and every time you have rejection or another issue you're brought back here where the transplant team is so that is extremely expensive and we need a place where people can come and breathe. Breathe when they're recuperating. Breathe when they leave the hospital but still have to be in Edmonton to go back the next day or whatever. Or the care, the um, designated caregiver. They need a place to stay. They need a place to go and unwind. They need a place where they can get support. Breathing space is badly needed. I wished it had been here twenty years ago, but it can't be here soon enough to help those that need to come to Edmonton to have a lung transplant.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You said it better than I'm sure anyone actually working at the lung, at Alberta Lung could have could have put it. So that that's amazing that you know that much about it. And yeah, it's it's essentially a home away from home for people who need lung transplants, and it just takes away one of those stressors. Uh, in in housing that is needed when you're getting a lung transplant. So thank you for that. Thank you for that plug that um, is truly amazing from from an advocate from a volunteer of Alberta Lung. It's it's amazing to hear from someone like you. So in wrapping everything up, I have one uh, last question for you. So I'm wondering if you can give some words of encouragement to those supporting someone with any lung disease i know we're talking about cf today but we're going to go any lung disease right now so maybe this is someone just like you who is taking care of their child maybe it's a brother or a sister or even just a close friend so what is one piece of advice or mantra that you told yourself to keep pushing and helping vincent throughout the difficult times
1: okay the most important thing is become their voice when they can't talk I found it so important to build a rapport with Vincent's doctors right from when he was just seeing the CF doctors to when we met Dr. Lean and Dr. Weinkoff. They were fantastic. They were open to our, not just mine, but cats as well and the families. Any questions we had They would answer. They just wouldn't just say, "Well, we don't know" or whatever. We could brains. We actually brainstormed with them when we were running out of ideas on how to save Vincent. Um, I wasn't afraid to come up and say, "Have you tried this?" or "Considered this?" They were very open to that, and that is what patients need. They need somebody who's who's knowledgeable or not afraid to ask those questions. Too many patients are afraid to ask questions. Don't be. Ask them because if you don't ask them, sometimes even just asking a question might bring something to mind to the doctors. Hey, we didn't think of this. Let's try this. They are human and so are you. And I still can't Dr. Lean and Dr. Weinkoff will forever be in my heart. They were great with Vincent. Vincent developed a rapport with them, which was great. So I, that would be my most important thing is be that voice, be that advocate, and never be afraid to ask a question. No question isn't appreciated
0: absolutely that is that is truly fantastic advice it kind of goes along with our last uh our last episode that we, we we spoke with uh Kirsten who had an undiagnosed lung disease and she was saying being an advocate for yourself and sometimes when you're in such dire straits you just can't do that so being having someone being an advocate for you is obviously incredibly important throughout your entire health journey so this has been an amazing interview, Gina. It has been an honor to have you on the show today again. And I'd like to thank you for everything that you do in our province for lung health. Definitely province-wide. This will be heard province-wide, I'm sure. And I hope that people see that passion and fight for awareness just like you have.
1: Jacob, I would tr- I thank you so much for inviting me to share Vincent's story. It's been wonderful i also want to let your listeners know that they can contact me through alberta lung because even if they're just considering it i'm willing to share with them what i what i know and to encourage them regardless of what they choose
0: of course that that's amazing thank you for offering that so reach out if if you're if anyone in your family and your friends is considering a lung transplant or has any questions with cystic fibrosis please reach out to alberta lung uh, via our website uh, uh, ablung.ca and we'll, we'll be able to put you in contact with gina so i think with that i'll say thank you again gina so much and i will just send us right through to the outro What an amazing perspective from Gina. I think on our show, we're used to getting the perspectives from the experts themselves, like physicians and researchers, as well as hearing experiences directly from patients. But to hear the experience of a mother is so special and important in gaining a full picture of lung disease. So I'd like to thank Gina again one more time for being our guest on the Unsung Lung Podcast as always before signing off i'm just going to give my final three concluding thoughts to put a bow on this episode and i guess somewhat metaphorically for our final show of 2022 i know that this episode is coming out on january 1st 2023 but i would like to thank everyone for listening in 2022 the show started this year and i hope it will be able to continue for many years to come before I get all choked up, let's get into my final three concluding points. The first is Vincent's love for extreme sports and the quote that he sort of lived his life by. Living life on the edge where only the strong survive. I think that's such an incredibly strong and empowering quote to live by. Especially when you consider that all the hardships he had to go through and and the, the, the constant treatments and... Putting his family through through this as well you some might think that he he'd rather be safe with his life because it's so precious and having to stay healthy is was such a challenge for him but he chose to look at it the other way he chose to say that hey i get to live my life so why not continue living it and living it to the fullest and how i want to live it and how he wanted to live it was through sports. Extreme sports at that I can attest to that. I love sports. So I know where Vincent's coming from. I I certainly uh, can connect with him on that. So um, I think it's truly special the His his mantra of living life on the edge where only the strong survive the second is Gina actually allowing Vincent to take control of his medical treatment and reducing the amount of treatments that he received to better accommodate his life and the activities that he loved, even though he was only 14 at the time. So I can think that many maybe over-over protective parents would say, no, this is what's happening, you're getting your four treatments a day, no ifs, ands, or buts. But Gina took his perspective into account and she wanted to ensure that he had some say in his treatment. So I think that that really... Goes to show what kind of amazing parent Gina was and still is, and how she she truly allowed her son, even though a lot of the hardships did fall on her, she allowed him, Vincent, to take control of it a bit and say, No, I don't want to do all the treatments a day, it's it's interfering with my life too much. I want to do two a day, and We'll keep we'll go from there, we'll see how it is, and I think that's really amazing to kind of see how Gina let go. And while she was still obviously incredibly there for him all the time, she she let him decide how he wanted to live his life. My final concluding thought for this year of the Unsung Lung podcast is the sort of double jeopardy of exchanging the devil Vincent knew for the one that he and his family didn't. That is his cystic fibrosis, the first devil, for the problems like constant hospital inducing infections after the first six months post-transplant, as well as eventually organ rejection because of the transplant that he underwent. So I think that that's an incredibly powerful saying, the devil they knew for the one they didn't. And it makes you think, even though it might've been for the better, in the immediate time uh, to get the double lung transplant it certainly weighed on him heavy as him vincent and his family heavy as as time progressed and gina mentioned that they had a good six months with him at the beginning um, they got to see vincent in kind of his true self and being kind of uh, un uh, not not taken down by his cystic fibrosis too much and obviously, that second devil coming in, in terms of infections leading to hospital visits, more hospital visits, and then organ rejection, which eventually took his life. So I think it's, imp- uh, it's very important to keep both aspects in, in mind, in that sometimes, even though people in our lives may have treatment and they might be good, it's always important to kind of keep in mind that they have struggled once and that stress and that trauma may still be with them, as well as continuing health problems. So it's always incredibly important, important to stay keep that in mind when speaking to someone with a lung disease or with any kind of health ailment uh, that they may be suffering through. Okay, well, that just about wraps up my concluding thoughts for this show. Again, I would like to thank... The entire Unsung Lung podcast audience for your support in 2022. It has been an amazing year for me uh, in my career academically, in this podcast, in my personal life. It's that there's been trials and tribulations, I'm not gonna lie to you. But this podcast has definitely been a bright line um, for me. It it's allowed me to express myself and my passion for media. For podcasting that wouldn't be possible if I didn't have the opportunity given to me from the people at Alberta Lung, uh, my bosses, Nina and Lee. I, I have to truly thank you for being there. For me, um, when I unfortunately had to step down from my position as health promotion coordinator earlier in 2022, um, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, as I went back to school to pursue my lifelong dream of becoming a lawyer. But allowing me to continue this podcast is something that I am truly thankful for. And I'm truly thankful to all of you who listen. Um, It's really only the listenership that allows us to keep going. As I've said it before, without people listening, there wouldn't be a show. So thank you for listening. Please keep spreading the word about the Unsung Lung Podcast. The more listeners, the better. The more awareness on lung disease, the better and i am so grateful for everyone that has given uh, given me allowed me to perpetuate this opportunity and continue my passion for podcasting so for one final time thank you all again for listening to this show in 2022 i look so forward to bringing new monthly episodes to you in 2023 and to continue to spread awareness on lung health so for the final time in 2022, even though you we are listening to this in 2023, <laughs> as always, just remember to breathe.